Hello. Hello, 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 and welcome to the second Cavancast Q&A. I think it's the second one. I'm pretty sure it is. I think the first... Oh yeah, the first one was was when we hit one year of doing the podcast, which feels like a long time ago now. Look at us. Who would have thought, huh? So, let's do it again. I asked some of you on Instagram. Well, no, I didn't ask some of you. I asked all of you, and some of you answered. Thank you very much. I asked you to I asked you to ask some questions and some of you answered with a question that you'd like me to answer. That is a sentence. And there's a barking dog as soon as I started recording. I have a thing I'm very prejudiced against dogs. <laughs> like I love all dogs. All dogs matter. But if there, if I hear like a uh, a small dog barking and it's it's quite yappy, that will annoy me, and I'll I'll be like, can you shut your dog up, please, pretty please, but if I hear a big dog like a proper boof, then um I'm like ah oh, he's a good boy, good boy yeah you bark, you bark as loud as you want. I am not a perfect person, and I admit my faults. <laughs> so I hope you are doing well. I hope you are looking forward to this Q&A. I hope you have had a good week. I've had a good week. I have been, like I said, I'm coming back into the world, and I, um, I've been on my own for a long time, and I'm I'm finding out what it's like to actually hang around with a with with friends again and actually be social without being terrified of it so that's really nice um i went to a festival i went to slam dunk festival and that was really good it was very busy i think they oversold it like crazy but uh it was really good saw some wonderful bands and this week i'm about to go to download festival so slam dunk was a good warm-up for that and, um, yeah, so when you're listening to this, I'm probably at Download Festival, listening to some great music with wonderful people. If by any chance you are listening to this at Download Festival, I'm probably, like, a few tents over. Can you imagine? That would be so weird. Anyway, um, that's a really strange thought i i do have this thought now of like i wonder if i have walked past somebody who has been listening to the podcast that's it hmm because i know like this isn't the biggest podcast in the world but there there's a high chance i think oh that's interesting huh anyway let's um let's answer some questions shall we Get yourself chill, do what you need to do, and I am going to crack on with the questions, and we're going to start at the deep end, because there is no time like the present, and you know how I enjoy deep and meaningful questions. So do forgive me 
we're going to start with a heavy one. Tierney asked, Sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe. And I feel a bit weird about starting off this Q&A with such a controversial one, because, you know, this is a relaxing podcast and I don't want tensions to get high really quickly, but I don't know. I, I felt it just had to be answered. So I'm going to answer it. Answer it. I, I do wonder if the choice of sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe, is a true choice of free will, or whether we ultimately, due to very early environmental programming and maybe some genetic coding, are destined to be one or the other to the end of our days, lest we become self-aware enough to question the choices that we make. I guess the question could be asked of whether a child who had never, never ever seen either parent put on their socks and shoes before um, would naturally perform this task in the same way as the parents, providing both parents did in fact do it the same in their formative years. If they did it differently, then that kind of defeats the point. But is it like eyes, you know, if both parents are, is it, is, <laughs> is sock shoe, sock shoe a recessive gene like blue eyes? You know, if both parents did sock, sock, shoe, shoe, and the kid does sock, shoe, sock, shoe, is that like having both parents having brown eyes and the kid having blue eyes? I think there's, you know, this is food for thought, it really is. Um, I mean, okay, so I grew up without my father in my life for pretty much all of my formative years. Um, I have a relationship with him now, but I, I never knew any of his habits or anything like that. Anyone who knows me knows I have this insane obsession with putting either crisps or chips in my sandwiches and or burgers. Potato chips or fries for all you Americans. But when I first spent some actual time with my father in my later teen years, one of the first things we did was go out for a meal together. And we were both sat opposite each other at this it's like square table. And my girlfriend at the time was in between. Not sat on the table, obviously, sat on one of the other sides. And my father and I both ordered some kind of burger and chips. And we ate the meals and they were very nice and we had conversation and it was lovely and it was yeah wonderful um i was still kind of nervous at this point so i didn't really take in a lot of what was going on um but later on that evening my girlfriend asked me if 
I'd noticed how similar mine and my father's eating habits were. And I said, What are you on about, girlfriend? And she said that both me and my father at pretty much exactly the same time and exactly the same way put chips in our burger and ate them in the same way. Now, this could just be mere coincidence, but I'm not sure where that habit came from for me. I was never taught to put chips or crisps in my bread-based food for extra texture and taste and overall crunch. And yet here is my father, who I'd never ever seen do this, do it the exact same way I did. I'm not sure what the actual answer is, you know, whether it's hereditary chippage or, you know, whether it's just a coincidence, but it's definitely um, food for thought. So, um, <laughs> I wish I hadn't said food for thought earlier because it kind of takes away from the, the, the impact of using it for this, where we were talking about food, but, um, anyway, sock, shoe, sock, shoe is what I do. No, no, it's not. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe is what I do. Sock, socks. Yeah, I do sock, sock, shoe, shoe. That's the method I choose. There are other options I could peruse, but truly the only one for me is a sock and a sock, then a shoe and a shoe. Hell yeah, dude. There's that Post Malone clip I keep seeing in the moment. It's just, hell yeah, man, congratulations. Hell yeah, that's amazing. He's such a sweetheart. Unicorn, version 2, asked, What makes you feel calmer? Rainy days or sunny days? I think they serve different purposes. Rainy days have this wonderful way of giving that feeling of release compared to sunny days, which I think provide more of a quieter, peaceful feeling. Everything is tension and release, right? And when I say tension, the tension doesn't have to be bad. It just needs to be there for the other to occur, like it's a balanced thing. The easiest example, I guess, is, is breathing. You inhale, your lungs fill up the space in your chest and you hold it and the more you inhale, the more pressure it puts on, you know, your rib cage and all that. The tension is there and then you release it by exhaling. The longer you the longer you hold the inhale, the more the tension occurs, 
And if you hold it for too long, that is where things can start to go awry. And I think everything's doing that, really. Music does it, the ocean does it, and rain does it. Everything holds tension that needs to be released, including us as humans. I think so, anyway. Everything holds energy that needs to be transferred at some point. And half the time, when it comes to us as people, we don't even consciously realize how much how much we're actually holding on to and when that happens to us we we can be at risk of subconsciously finding ways for it to come out that aren't always the healthiest rainy days can be wonderful and calming and rejuvenating for us and for the land that it falls on. It can bring life to many things, it can be truly, truly wonderful, but it can also destroy when too much is held onto and released, especially when it's added with wind, the absolute dickhead that is wind. You know how I feel about wind, not a fan. But sunny days are kind of the same with that. And nowhere is that example more obvious than in England, I think, where we will get a week or two of sun. Everyone's happy. Everyone's in a good mood. The vitamin D is up. People are more active and more relaxed. And all of a sudden... <laughs> Cool, that sun's a bit much, isn't it? Oh, don't know about that anymore. Oh, it's far too hot, you know. Oh, cool, blimey. That's that every every year that happens in England. Fans sell out. You can't buy ice anywhere. It all just goes to pot. And what I'm saying is basically too much of anything is destructive. The grass starts going brown. People start getting annoyed. Ice cream melts too quickly. And then the hotter it gets, the worse the things that happen are. So, the answer to the question, unicorn, is that both make me calm for a while. But then, both make me worry after that while is up. <laughs> I just can't be content with anything. Emerelda asked, who is going to win the TikTok chicken war? This question is probably already outdated because it's it's only been like a week or two, but that is that is nearly that is already nearly too long for a TikTok meme to last. However, if you haven't seen what's been happening on TikTok for the past week or so, which is maybe, you know, quite likely because one, you may not be on TikTok, or two uh, be on the, what I imagine is probably a rather niche part of TikTok that is accommodating the, the Great Chicken War. Actually, it's probably less niche now, considering its viral anticipatory nature. But to get you up to speed, um, basically there was a lad that filmed a video calling 
out anyone who wants to fight and basically saying that they have no chance because him and his posse are about to, and I quote, kick some ass and take some names, to which he then proceeds to show a video of his posse, who are a group of chickens, following behind him. This then prompted another gentleman to respond to said guy with his chickens, saying, and I quote, fucking pull up. <laughs> and now the chicken floodgates have opened and everyone and their mum who has a chicken army have joined the war. It's like, you know, in Anchorman when all the different news teams join in to this like massive battle. It's like that, but with chicken farmers. And the question, the question that has been put to me is who is going to win? the Great Chicken War of 2023, and my answer is nobody. Nobody wins this war. Everybody loses when life is lost. There is no real victory. Only temporary relief from bloodshed, pain, and suffering. Or it's going to be the guy who was running with a sword and his chickens were running behind him. <laughs> I reckon he's got a good shot. I reckon, yeah, um, my vote is on him. Um, Heidi. Heidi. Heidi Scott. If you got a tattoo that covered your whole body, what thing or theme would it depict? I think that the only thing I am passionate enough about that has artwork cool enough to cover my entire body in is The Legend of Zelda. Maybe Nintendo in general, but I, I like the idea of having a whole Legend of Zelda piece on me, or having me be a Legend of Zelda piece. I think what I would do is... Roughly, I don't know how this would completely work logistically, but this is all off the top of my head, so bear with me. Um, okay, for anyone who hasn't played Zelda, it's an RPG, which is a role-playing game, where you play as a hero called Link, and usually he goes on this big quest to save the princess, Zelda, and usually this involves exploring lands and dungeons and different terrains and and fighting different enemies to get to Ganon, who is keeping Zelda captive. Tale of Zelda's time, very good. There's been loads of games. So what I would probably do is have a whole game play out on the front of my body, or just on my body, like, I'd have my whole body as a map with all, you know, different places and dungeons and, you know, temples and stuff in different places on my body. So my hands would be, I don't know, maybe forest-type places with, like, my fingers as roots of the trees and um, my legs could be like a fire. There's usually, like, a forest, fire, water desert that's kind of the the places in these games that exist sort of corresponding to different elements so yeah maybe my legs will be fire because the flames could rise up my legs 
um yeah whatever it is whatever it happens to be all these places would have link at different parts of this quest fighting different enemies and doing all these different things and it all culminates in one giant final battle with ganon on my back i think that would be quite cool to be honest if it was pulled off properly can you imagine if it was all really badly drawn <laughs> really shoddy artwork i go to like the you know the one guy who's always at an afters of a party who just happens to have a tattoo gun and i'm like yeah can you just do a zelda game on my entire body and he's like yeah man um yeah that's sick yeah i could definitely do that mate um Okay, yeah, like, sit down, I'll just, like, do whatever, you know what I mean? Like, oh, mate, it's going to look sick. It's going to look so good. <laughs> but, oh, God, there's a really chaotic part of me that wants to do that. Maybe if I lose everything and my entire life goes to shit, I'll just do that. Um, Where was I going with this? Yeah, I think with this whole thing, I'm half getting the idea from... Michael Schofield, who is the main character is in Prison Break, where he, to help break his brother out of prison, he gets the schematics and the blueprints of the prison that he helped build where his brother is. Um, and he gets reminders about the different parts of his plan to break him out, tattooed all over his body in like really cool ways. Uh, very good series, by the way, Prison Break, if you if you ever want a series to watch. And some people might say the series is unbelievable. I don't agree fully, but I do agree that getting your entire body tattooed in one session without passing out from pain or tiredness is quite unrealistic. I picked up a friend of mine from a six-hour tattoo session and she was so high on painkillers that she got in my van and was just staring at these Percy pigs that I bought for her. <laughs> you know, and she has quite a high pain threshold. So fun fact though, Percy pigs are vegan, if you didn't know, and they are absolutely delectable. So if you're a vegan and you're looking for a little tasty thum thum and you don't know about Percy pigs, you are welcome. Bugax says, Not a question, but I thought you might like to know. A group of fireflies is called a sparkle. And you are absolutely right, Bugax. I would like to know that. And I would bet many coins that most people listening would be happy to know that too. There's just one person who's not happy about it. <laughs> Um, I didn't want to know that, actually. I think Firefighters are stupid. It's the sort of person that'll have Owl City blocked on Twitter. Ugh, bioluminescent dicks. Hate them. Ugh. <laughs> Alright, okay. Um, 
Bioluminescence, by the way, is a form of chemiluminescence where light energy is released by a chemical reaction. This reaction involves a light-emitting pigment, the luciferin, and a luciferase, which is the enzyme involved. I just wanted to throw at least one fact into this episode, because it wouldn't feel right otherwise, I don't think. Thank you, Bugax. Speaking of um, chemical reactions in bodies, Xenozoe asked, Is your body alright? Because my depression is making my body ill. And my answer to that is, firstly, I'm sorry that your depression is having this effect on you. It makes everything ten times worse and harder to deal with when physical symptoms are present. Um, Thank you for asking the question because I think the physical side of things with this often goes unnoticed. Um, My answer about my own body is that it comes in waves. Um, And I, I often don't realize how much pain or discomfort I'm in when I'm in a very depressive or anxious state because I think my brain has sort of normalized it to an extent so I don't always notice when it's there but I realize definitely when it's gone away if that makes sense um I think I think they found in many studies that physical symptoms physical symptoms physical symptoms that people have, that some people have, seem to go nowhere or are only lessened slightly when it's only the symptom that's addressed and not the underlying cause. Because when we are, when we're in these states, our bodies and nervous systems are often jammed into modes that tell the mind we are in danger, it's not safe to heal. We're not thriving, we're not in a restful state. So it's not safe to heal right now. Our resources are needed to be alert. And it's, you know, it's holding on to everything really tight. So much so that it doesn't realize the damage it's doing. And this tension like I was talking about earlier, when it's too much and that will held on to for so long, can have long-lasting referred effects on stuff like our digestive health and our hormones and our joints and ligaments and all these different parts of us because the normal, the normal processes that the body needs to go through to keep these things in check aren't working properly if that all makes sense. But I know from personal experience, if I come out of a depressive episode, or, you know, if my anxiety lessens due to my nervous system being regulated, that the pain I've been feeling in other parts of my body has gone away with it. If this is something that you're struggling with, I highly advise focusing on the root cause of these problems and seeing if finding ways of 
lifting the weight of them has a knock-on effect to your physical health. The process can be painful, but the relief you will get from the pain after you've done the work or even during doing the work is so, so worth it. And discovering things that you might have been holding on to that you didn't even realize you were when you learn to let go of that and your body can relax a bit more, so much of your pain will probably go away or you will at least have some relief from it in some way. And I really wish you all the best with it. Along the same kind of lines, Britlin Elizabeth asked, what is the best advice to help someone to go to sleep at night? And I cannot stress how much better being lightly active before sleep helps with sleep. Stretching, moving, tidying a few things, organizing stuff, nothing crazy, but just a bit of stuff to do, just like an hour before you go to bed, all stuff that gets your brain into a very good state for sleeping, very menial stuff, but kind of productive stuff. It's all very, very good for helping you sleep. And the second half of that is that it means you're not looking at a screen. I mean, everyone knows that looking at screens before you go to bed sucks for your sleep. I still do it. I try not to, but hey, you asked what helps, not what I actively do. <laughs> um, but when I have done this in the past, I have slept great. I started doing it. I, I sort of discovered it when I had no choice. I went camping somewhere that had no signal at all, like the middle of absolute nowhere. And we had barely any electricity there at all. So I couldn't look at a screen for about three days. And waking up on that third day was like I had finally discovered what sleep is actually supposed to do to a person. Because I've been going to bed looking at a screen every night for like, since I was a, like 13. So over a decade. But when I finally went three days without it, and I wasn't hung over or anything, I had, you know, I slept how I was supposed to sleep. I woke up like, you know, in the adverts, when you get some lad or lass that has just woken up from the best night's sleep ever on their new mattress. Ooh, let me tell you, if you're annihilating your eyes and your brain with a hell of a lot of stimulus before you go to bed, you could be sleeping on the finest mattress in the land and you would still wake up feeling like you got hit by a truck. So... Do all that. Do that. And then, as you're laying in bed, about to go to sleep, name, this is something I've started to do recently, name five things that you are grateful for that day. Small or big. Like, they can be as small as you like. Um, Do that for a while. Like, do that for a few days. And your brain will start associating that time with positivity, which means less anxiety, 
which means calm, which then means good sleep. They're the main things, I think, you know, the rest I can kind of give or take personally, but those things are the things I swear by. Do some light activity before bed. Don't look at a screen, please, for the love of God, don't look at a screen. Um, or if you do get one of those blue light things, I don't know how well they work, but it's something. And practice the gratitude thing. Oh, and listen to this podcast. <laughs> I've heard that helps. Alicia, Alicia? Alicia asked, what is your second favourite book since I assume The Hobbit is first? Well, Alicia, The Hobbit actually isn't my favourite book. To assume makes an ass out of you and me. No, it's not. It's, um, it's a book that's very close to my heart, yes, but my favourite book is actually Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, because I am a massive nerd. And that book appeals so strongly to that nerdy childhood part of me that I have no choice but to have it as my favourite. It has so many references to video games and pop culture and virtual reality. Well, the whole thing is based around virtual reality, really. Basically, it's, it, it's 20, 2048 or 45, 2045? I think it's 2045. And... Everyone basically lives in this massive virtual reality world, or that's where they spend most of their days. Uh, that's where all the jobs are, that's where everything is, because the real world has basically gone to shit. And I think a part of me likes it so much because I feel like it could very easily be a potential reality for us at that time like it would not surprise me at all if that was the future we we go into you can kind of see signs of it already leaning that way um i think that's why some of my favorite villains in tv shows and films are ones that could be that way like it's a genuine possibility that there are people like that out there the real i mean that it terrifies me but you know, the realism of stuff like that really, really gets me. Um, I think I've, I've, I've talked about this before, I think, but I will always base my favorite things on the way they make me feel. Um, a book or a TV show, a film or a song, any piece of media or art, it can be technically the most questionable thing in the world from a from a, from a technique point of view, but if it can make me feel a wealth of emotions and take me on a journey, that's kind of all that matters to me. I think if you, um, if you get all caught up in how you feel about the way something's made, you'll miss the way it might be able to make you feel. Ooh, deep. <laughs> Whoa, man. Whoa. True, though. Very true. But yeah, Ready Player One is my favorite book. If anyone's wondering what it's about, it's, uh, like I said, set in a virtual reality world. And the creator or the co-creator of this virtual reality world called The Oasis dies 
and has left behind uh like a basically like an easter egg hunt to find his fortune like that's his last will and testament is this big treasure hunt to find um the key to his fortune and as you can imagine in in this virtual world and as you can imagine everyone's going for it and the creator was like a massive nerd so all the clues and the whole treasure hunt is pop culture based and he loved the 80s so it's really based around that and oh man it's so good it's so good uh so this will probably be the last question rue asks what do you think about love long answer please well as you said please rue i will give you just that I think love in its purest form is the most beautiful thing in the world. I think compassion and love for ourselves and other people can allow us to achieve nearly anything. I also think that an incredible amount of people's ideas of love, including mine, have been massively skewed, potentially since our childhoods, by our parents, by our friends, and by the media. I know mine was, especially. Uh, for an incredibly long time, my idea of love involved saving and rescuing they call it a savior complex these days and this uh, i learned stemmed from a compensation because i wasn't able to fix the problems of the ones i loved in my childhood that affected everyone including me very deeply because I couldn't do that, there was an overcompensation with every other person that I loved, especially romantically. In my head, I, I really didn't want to let myself fail again. So in an ideal world, I would have been in relationships with people who could help themselves and, you know, didn't have that much damage. Did I do that? No, no, I didn't. I doubled down and matched with people who needed saving. It was an incredibly toxic way to live, and I didn't even realize I was doing it for a long time. But that was what I was indirectly taught love was, and didn't realize how destructive it was. And this isn't this isn't to make me out to like be some kind of saint like oh look at me or i think love is helping people love is helping people but from a genuine place not from a selfish place where my self-worth was based on being able to fix people who were damaged it's all well and good to help people but taking on someone's burden to the detriment of yourself as some kind of martyrdom it's not noble because it's not coming from a pure place, it's coming from a place of compensation. And I don't 
blame the kid for trying to do that. He didn't know any better. But I have done an incredible amount of work on myself. Sometimes I think too much. But either way, now, despite that urge coming up, because I was wired that way for so long, there's always going to be shadows of it. I have an override now. Um, I've learned to have genuine compassion and genuine love for myself. Well, I say learn to have it. I've learned to find it because I think everyone has it. I think everyone, like, when, when you remove all the crap that's on top, I think genuine love and compassion lies underneath. And because I've learned to find it for myself, that allows me, in turn, to have those genuine feelings for other people because it's all coming from within and not without internal not ex external and the help you can give people when you're operating from there far outweighs anything else i think so my idea of love like i said in its purest form it is the most beautiful thing in the world but if you think about the people that you love or fall in love with and notice that there might be a pattern forming that isn't particularly healthy. It may be worth looking into where that idea is coming from. So you can have a bit more space for the pure light and love to shine through. I think being able to connect with other people from a place of love is incredible and it just takes cleaning some of the mud that's in the way away so the connections can be stronger if that makes sense and with that i am going to leave you i hope you've enjoyed the answers to these questions i tried to choose ones that were a little bit about me, but also had some kind of a message to them. So hopefully everyone's happy. Thank you very much to everyone who asked the question. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you. And if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you too. And I will ask you going forward to please, please take care of yourself. And be kind to yourself with genuine love and compassion. And I am going to do the same. And I will speak to you soon. Okay. Bye.